This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 158. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and today I have on this special episode a special guest, and that is Mr. James Yeager of Tactical Response. And uh, in a moment, I'll play back the interview that I pre-recorded with him recently. I look forward to getting into that. It should be a good one. But first, today's episode is brought to you by Ice Training. Icy. This is uh, Rob Pincus's company, and we recently secure, secured a special deal together with him. He'd like to give you a free copy of his best 100-round practice session DVD. To my knowledge, Rob Pincus has never given away one of his DVDs like this. All you have to do is pay the shipping have you ever wondered about what to do in practice when all you have is one hour and two boxes of ammunition? This DVD will walk you through dozens of excellent drills and scenarios to keep you sharp and at the top of your game with limited range time and resources. So go pick it up. The best 100 round practice session DVD free. Just pay the shipping. Get it at concealedcarry.com forward slash best 100. That is B-E-S-T-1-0-0 concealedcarry.com forward slash best 100. And today's episode is also brought to you by Andrew Branca's The Law of Self-Defense and by Sports Afield Safes. And we are thankful to our sponsors for making this possible and also to your listeners for checking them out. So in a moment, I'm going to play back this interview I had with Mr. Yeager. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a fun interview. We get into a lot of different things. You know, he is obviously well known for his presence on YouTube. Uh, many folks, chances are many of you listeners have seen his videos, uh, some of which, many of which perhaps, are quite controversial. At least they stir up a lot of emotions and responses in the, in his viewers. And, uh, you know, we had the opportunity to reach out to him and connect with him and have him on the podcast. And uh, I was excited to do that. I think it, you'll, you'll be pleasantly surprised with... Uh, our discussion here today. I hope that you enjoy this interview with Mr. James Yeager. Let's go ahead and get into that now. Well, I have on the line with me today, Mr. James Yeager. How you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Great. Hey, we appreciate you coming on the Concealed Carry Podcast with us. Uh, looking forward to having a good chat with this you. This is Concealed Carry Podcast? <laughs> like Rob Pincus told me that this is going to be for like a real organization. Oh, <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. No, no I'm, I'm actually, I'm actually uh, quite pleased and quite honored to, to be invited on here just to, uh, you know, just kind of set the tone with a little joke, but, uh, but, but Rob is the one that uh, introduced me to you and, and, uh, he's always led me in the right direction and, and I'm really, I'm really happy to be here. Cool. Great. Well, we are pr privileged to have you. Um, I suspect most of our listeners are at least familiar with James Yeager, but uh, for those few that may not be, can you give us a just a quick bio on who you are or, or the company you represent? Yeah. Um, in short, uh, born and raised in Tennessee. I was a cop with a, a checkered checkered history of law enforcement, uh, love-hate, and um, I started my company in 1996, my training company. Uh, I was a security contractor in 2004, 2005, while the company was still running. And since uh, 1996, we've trained over 60,000 good guys how to kill the bad guys. I like that. Quick, short, sweet. So, um, 
I, you know, I actually watched something recently on YouTube. I mean, for folks that don't know, you've got uh, an extensive YouTube uh, presence. You've been doing videos on there for a long time. Uh, and uh, you mentioned in one of the videos how many thousands of students you've trained. And so I hope that we can lean on, on your experience there today. I'm sure we will. I'll definitely have some questions yeah. relating to some of that. Uh, but before we get too far into some of that, I, I do feel like I got to ask. Uh, you're the guy on the YouTube videos. Uh, you're fairly controversial. I think you understand no, that. No, I'm really controversial. <laughs> I'm, I'm re Come on, don't be nice. I'm really controversial. Uh, and, you know, I think some people probably wonder how much of that is an act? How much of that is that's truly Mr. Yeager? What do you have to say to that? Uh, well, well uh, my friend Larry Vickers says I remind him of a pro wrestler. You know, I'm like, snap into a Slim Jim, and then, you know, I'm sipping lattes later on. Um, but the reality is that's 100% me. Now, I do a video every day. And so if you think about a year in your life, there are days when you are furious. There are days when you are nothing could make you not smile. And that that is the unedited me. When When you get that. I was mad about it. If you, if you see anger, I was really mad. Uh, if you see me laughing, I was really laughing. None of that is a put on. None of it is an act. Um, and a lot of, you know, a lot of people think that, that it is, but if you catch me at that time and hear what I have to say, that's the way it is. Now I can point to a, a really good example. My rant video where I talk about killing people. Everybody talks about that all the time. If you go back and look at that, the chronology of that, the day before that, I did active shooter video number two. And if you and I'm crying in that video because of the children that got killed and why does it got to keep happening? And then, then you roll that emotion into the next day, the announcement that we're going to just executive order some gun control and that all that emotion came out in that video. So if you look at the chronology of it, you can see it. You can see it developing and building. It wasn't an act. It wasn't for notoriety. It wasn't for to get people coming to train with me. I already had that. That was really me. Mm. I appreciate someone who is honest about who they are and, and that they don't try to present something different on the camera. Um, or on a podcast for that matter. So, <laughs> well, I mean, if, if, if I may, um, like when I go and do a video of me shooting, there's no editing. Like if I miss a shot, you see me miss the shot. If I fumble a reload, you see me fumble the reload. Um, the, the authenticity matters. Like I need to be a real person and, and I am, you see what you get on my videos. Like, like if I'm doing a video, like if you notice most of my videos, there's no editing in the middle. It's just me talking right through. Well, if a booger's hanging out of my nose, you get that booger. Like it's, it's going to be on the video. I don't do any editing like that. And, um, good, bad, or indifferent. I mean, there's a bunch of my videos that, that people have wanted to do a restart on. I go, no, I don't do restarts. And they're like, really, you're not going to restart. And you can see all this at the beginning of the video. Cause I don't edit it out. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Uh, you know, so obviously, yes, you are controversial. Uh, you're a love-hate sort of guy. I mean, either people seem to love you or they hate you. Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think that's, that is because of your authenticity. You are who you are, obviously. Um, what would you say to all the haters out there, though? I mean, uh, people that knock on you. Oh, I, being... oh gosh. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. They are my hardest working employees and I don't have to pay them anything. And, um, and what I mean by that is I had 6,000 students last year and with a semi-formal, semi-formal, um, a questionnaire, 50% of them, 
first heard about me from a hater. That's 3,000 people that paid me at least 500 bucks. That's $1.5 million that my haters made me and didn't charge me a penny to make it for me. <laughs> so getting people to hate you is, uh, is the best form of marketing. Is that, is that the business advice for today? <laughs> uh, listen, it, it's not a plan. It, it, like it just, it happens, you know, it's, it's who I am, but, but just this unintended consequence, this side benefit is they work really hard. I, I bought my second new motorcycle in the last couple of years. I call it the hater cycle. 100% paid for by hate. <laughs> Cool. Uh, would you say, so let's get back to your students. Um, and obviously, I sent you a little bit of an outline with some, some thoughts and some topics I thought we might cover. Uh, you have taught many thousands of students uh, through the years. Uh, those that started out hearing from a hater about James Yeager and tactical response, uh, and they end up coming through to one of your classes and, and through your training uh, curriculum, would you say that by and large, they they turn around and they they see you for who you really are and and and, and the value of the training that you offer, uh, or do you still get a few of those that uh, they start out a hater and they remain a hater? Uh, we have over an eighty five percent return rate. So everybody, just about every single person that takes a class from us takes multiple classes from us. So that can't be true. The, basically, there are two kinds of people as far as the YouTube goes. There's two kinds of people that show up: people to confirm I am that guy or I am not that guy. One or the other, and uh, and eighty five percent of them come back for another class. Cool. Well, that that certainly is uh, the telling sign of quality uh, of of instruction. I mean, we see that with within our own business with all the instructor instructors that we have and the students that we have come through our courses as well. Uh, of course, we're always trying to get better. But a question for you is: yeah. What is the guiding philosophy of your training? Uh, that's easy. I train good guys to kill bad guys. And the way I look at it is if they're in a, our, our flagship classes our two day fighting pistol class. And I've got two days to train you everything I can train you to win that gunfight that you're going to be in. Mm. That's why I'm so passionate about, it. I don't think, well, these people might get in a gunfight or they could get in a gunfight. I've, I've had, I've had 47 students win gunfights. I've never had a student lose a gunfight. And I had, I had one forfeit, one guy that wasn't carrying a gun that got murdered in front of his family. Um, but, and I'm not taking that. That's a forfeit. But, um, but the, the, the thing is, is that that's why I'm so impassioned. That's why, because I only have two days. I only have about 16 hours of FaceTime with a student to make them understand that this is important and this is why they need to do it this way. And so all of my instructors are the same way. That's why we get angry. That's why, that's why you hear about this instructor said that or this instructor did this or whatever. Uh, because we just, every once in a while, we get a student that just wants to argue or fight with us about it or, you know, it's not very often. And, and like they know how to do it. They came to show us how they do it, you know, instead of running how we do it. And, and that's why they get such an impassioned response is because. We know that what we teach them matters. Mm -hmm. Let's dive into the specifics a little bit. On you say you got two days, sixteen hours to teach someone everything you possibly can to help them win the fight. In other words, you know, teaching good guys to to take care of bad guys. Right? Where, where do you start on day one? Oh, it's easy. Mindset. 
<laughs> we explain to them that this is this is not a shooting class. It's a fighting class. The root word to gunfight is not gun. It is fight. And so there's a lot of people that go, oh, I can shoot well enough. I don't need to take a class. Shooting is, as far as marksmanship, is, is, is a third of it. Gun handling, which most people are horrible at is another third. Um, and then all the rest of the stuff, you know, as far, as far as the, the mechanical, the physical skills of it. Uh, and, uh, so people think that marksmanship is it. It's not gun handling is, is, is mostly what we teach people. Most everybody like no dude would sign up for a class that he didn't think he could quote unquote pass before he even got there because, because men are hesitant to do things, that might risk their ego there that, that does not reinforce their positive self image. That's why dudes don't dance. Mm-hmm. At least white dudes don't <laughs> dance. You know? w- w- women get married. So they don't have to get sex anymore, have sex anymore. Dudes get married. So they don't have to dance anymore. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, and, and so, so guys will practice and practice and practice before they come to a class to make sure they, to make sure they don't need a class before they even get there. Mm. And, um, and so, but that's not the whole, that's not the point. And anybody that will, that, that takes fighting pistol, you can read review after review after review. They use words like life changing because we talk about more than just a gunfight. The gunfight's just part of it. Then there's the legal fight, both criminal and civil. And then there's the emotional battle, the emotional aftermath. Even if you win, even if you're hundred percent justified, it changes you. And so we talk about the total, the, the, the total gunfight, everything from beginning to end. Uh, there are things that we talk about in that class, like you would not even expect that we're going to talk about, like a will and things like that. Um, and so we try to prepare them as best we can. Now, I didn't say I teach them everything I know. What I said is I teach them everything they need to know, uh, because the best way to teach somebody nothing is to teach them everything you know. And so we have come up with a recipe, uh, over the years, this class is, is, is over 20 years old. It's been taught thousands of times to tens of thousands of people that, uh, we've come up with this recipe on how to put this class together and we turn out people that can protect themselves and we do it every mm-hmm. day. I'm going to come back to that mindset piece. So, uh, you start, you said you start right off day one talking about mindset. Uh, when do you first start, uh, firing off rounds? Let's say the class begins at 8 a.m. on any particular day. Uh, they are typically shooting by 10 to 10:30. Okay. And and day one they will day one they'll shoot about 500 rounds. That's a good amount, uh, especially considering you don't really get shooting until about 10 10:30. So what what's the first thing you work on when you're actually on the range live fire? Uh, in fighting pistol, uh, a correct efficient draw. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's where, really, really where it begins, right? As far as winning a gunfight, if if you got to get that thing out of your holster, right? Well, I mean, well, and well, that's the part where I explain that if you've got to do a quote unquote quick draw, you've made a bunch of failures getting up to this point. Like you weren't aware of your surroundings and da 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 da. You know, like you know, if you're going to get in a gunfight, you should have had the gun in your hand way before it started. You know, uh, and better yet, you should have a rifle or a shotgun or even not be there. Uh, but um, but, uh, I mean, as far as chronology, you know, the, the first thing on the range is we, we, in the classroom, we do a safety brief. Then we do a real abbreviated safety brief on the range. Then we get right to the draw. And then and part of the draw is moving, taking a sidestep or stepping forward or back or whatever the case may be. 
Then we incorporate reloads, uh, reloading the gun from empty, then reloading the gun when you want to, not when you have to. And then we have dummy rounds in the magazine. So right off the bat, type one malfunctions are in there. And so we start literally at zero, like you've never touched a gun before, but by the end of the day, we're going a hundred miles an hour. And that's why we can have a housewife literally and a Navy SEAL in the same class. And both of them get something out of it. They're both getting an entirely different class, even though it's happening at the same time. How do you manage that? Uh, Students with, you know, like you said, Navy SEALs that have an, an immense amount of training and experience and someone that doesn't. Well, um, so first off, our instructor to student ratio is never more than seven to one. So we don't, we don't have a class of 40 people and one guy out there with a bullhorn. It does, doesn't work. Everybody gets individual attention. And so I have a firing line. I have a, uh, a line boss running the line and then I have instructors walking back and forth helping people. Now the, 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 uh, the housewife may or may not need help with her grip or this or that. Well, the Navy SEAL, we're, we're, we're trying to streamline his reload. He's got the grip and all that stuff. And even his reload is fine, but we're like, okay, we can shave this here or cut that there and make you your overall time, you know, like a quarter, quarter second faster when we're just trying to get the housewife to safely get the gun out and hit the target. And so because we have, we keep the instructor to student ratio small and all of my instructors are, are very gifted, very passionate instructors. They can see what each individual student needs, um, and give them almost an individual class as the class is moving along. Mm. Yeah, that's great. So let's come back to mindset. What do you, or how do you teach the proper mindset to your students? Well, that's that's a can of worms right there. <laughs> um, well, number one, I, before they even get here, and what I would tell any of your listeners also, before they even get here on the on the gear list is we we re- recommend that they read Jeff Cooper's The Principles of Personal Defense, which is the the be all end all <laughs> Bible, if you will, for uh, a mindset of a concealed carry holder. Um, but uh, we. Uh, we, we impress upon them, like on the firing line day one, that they're not shooting at a target. We tell them, we begin the drills with the word fight. Okay, not shoot, not up, not bust them, not, you know, these other things that people say. We say fight. Um, and, then, um, and then we tell them that from the time we say fight until you have completed the drill, that you're in a fight. So we tell them to envision a human being in front of you, trying to kill you, trying to kill your family. And I tell them, I can't do this for you. You have to do it yourself. And I can, I can also tell how much they're into it because when they take that side step, side step, we also tell them to yell stop. And I can tell by their voice and the declaration, you know, the tenacity, if they, if they, you know, fight or fight, you know, I can, I can tell what's going on in their brain. Um, but, uh, like if I say, put whatever, you know, two in the heart, one in the brain, the drill is not over after they fire three shots, they have to put two in the heart and one in the brain. We don't tell them to go fast, but we tell them we do expect a sense of urgency during the drills. Like somebody's trying to kill them. So if there's a reload, they need to move, get the gun reloaded, get back in there make those hits and, and things like that. So on the physical standpoint about, about the sense of urgency, we, we ingrain that day one, morning one. Like they're in a fight. It's not just a day at the range. We're not just here to shoot these little groups and put put pictures of them on Instagram. We are here to learn how to fight with this gun. 
and uh, and I'll keep talking to you. Tell me, to shut up. <laughs> Furthermore, st- students that we tell them you need to be, be you need to know what to do next. Like after you run out of ammo, uh, if you've run out of ammo, what are you going to do? Okay, if you don't have a backup gun, that that gun in your hand is a nice five hundred dollar set of brass knuckles. And so, and I explained to them how how powerful an empty gun is by by the old black and white Superman show that used to come on TV because they'd shoot at Superman. He'd just stand there. But when they threw the gun, he'd duck. And I, if, the, if an empty gun will make Superman duck, then it's quite a powerful weapon. <laughs> you can laugh. <laughs> Cue the applause light. Uh, but, but, um, but, uh, and if they have a backup gun before that the class starts, I talk about how to draw the backup gun. And if they run out of ammo, chunk their pistol, draw their backup gun. I tell them they don't have to shoot it, but I want them to go through the, the, the process of drawing it because they need to know what's going to happen next. Um, so things like that, that's, that's how we do it kind of physically on the range is, is through things like that. And then in the classroom with lecture and motivational speaking, if you will, um, things like that. Now let's, I'm curious, a lot of instructors, uh, advocate or, or talk about mental rehearsals. Uh, and that being kind of part of this, getting the mindset, right. That you're reviewing things, uh, you know, as a as a rehearsal in your mind before you do them, uh, maybe playing scenarios through your mind. Is this something that uh, you advocate as well, or or no, or something now, different hold on entirely? A don't, be, don't, don't be tricking me into questions like you teach this, and now you're going to ask me what I think, and then make me make you mad at me. <laughs> don't be doing that stuff. That's uh, my job. No, those 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 re- <laughs> those those re- rehearsals. There's well, a couple things. There's a thing called priming. Number one, let's say if you're in a restaurant with your family. And, and you think to yourself, okay, if this place catches on fire or, you know, if somebody comes in here with a gun, there's a fire, a fire door, I'm taking my family, ushering them out. Maybe you stay and do something or not, but you start thinking about what you would do. Um, that's priming. And, um, and that helps you get through the, the decision-making process faster. If something happens, the last thing you thought about is the first thing you'll do. So if that's what you mean, yes. But if you mean like thinking about stuff just in general, uh, I, I find little to no use in that. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's explore this uh, this concept of priming a little bit, and it's certainly something we've covered on the podcast before. Uh, is this something that you do everywhere you go, or are you high alert all the time? Are you? Uh, I'm just kind of curious how this works in the mind of James Yeager. Well, n- nobody's in high alert all the time. Anybody that says they are is just just fooling themselves, really. Um, I, th- I think I'm at at the, the appropriate level of alertness when I need to be. Like if I'm in my truck and it's moving and the doors are locked, I'm not worried about getting mugged. Um, you know, but when I stop my truck somewhere, then the possibility of getting mugged increases. So I, I pay attention. But being in a, a higher condition of of awareness and 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 a lot of times people use the words awareness and alertness interchangeably and they're not interchangeable terms but uh but my my state of awareness rises or decreases depending on where i'm at and whether or not i feel safe and i understand that my feeling safe doesn't make me safe but through years of experience i can pretty much feel safe if i'm at home the doors are locked and you know security measures are in place and, and, and all that. So I feel safe there. But, but if I was walking down the street somewhere, I would be at a higher level of awareness. Yeah. Did I answer oh, your yeah. question? Absolutely. <laughs> and I think that's, you know, wise, uh, advice because you certainly, you've probably seen them. I've seen them that, you know, the guys that 
they try to be at that high level of, of alertness all the time. They they don't, they don't try they they try to act <laughs> like they are. That may be true too, but it, it, it's tiring, and uh, nobody nobody can do it <laughs> truly, right? No, 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 not not no way, no yeah. how. So take appropriate uh, measures where appropriate. Get off the X. Something I hear you preach all the time. And uh, I, I think I understand what you mean by that. Uh, I've heard that in classes I've attended, uh, some of the law enforcement training I've received. We, we, I, I hear this all the time. Get off the X. Get off the X. I hear it in your videos. What is the concept of getting off the X? Basically, if you think about an, the word move, think about, think about it as an acronym. Motionless operators ventilate easily. So if I were to ask anybody, is it easier to shoot a stationary target or a moving target? Anybody would say it's easier to shoot a stationary target. So right there, we understand that if we're if we're in motion, that we are harder to shoot. And then it boils down to what's more important: killing the bad guy or not being shot. Okay, if you said killing the bad guy, you're not gonna you're not gonna do well. Okay, so not being shot is more important than shooting the bad guy. Anybody with any common sense should agree to that. Now. So if we realize that not getting shots more important, if somebody's shooting at us and we know that a moving target is harder to hit than a stationary target, it just makes sense that we should shoot, move, or do something in combination. Um, and, and that could be shooting on the move. It could be moving, then shooting. It could be moving to behind cover and then shooting. I don't really care what, you know, wh- wh- how we, how we, how we say it or do it, but we have to get out of the way. There are bullets, there are blades, there are fists coming. They're, they're coming right where I'm at right now, and I need to move. So those bullets, blades, you know, whatever, don't hit me. Mm. Right. And, and so, obviously, getting off the X is, is, is key. Moving is key. What are some of the tactical mistakes that are commonly committed by shooters that you see that might be related to this? Well, let's stand back. Let's go back to that X, mm-hmm. okay? What does that mean? Well, I tell people all the time, especially millennials, geez, <laughs> improper parenting. I go, you remember Roadrunner and the, you know, the big X and the bird seed and the Wally Cody would have the piano and they're like, huh? <laughs> oh, millennials. Anyway, but that's the X. The X is where that bird seed is. There is a safe, there's a piano, there's an anvil on a rope above that. And we need to not be there. Okay. So. What was your question? The other one? <laughs> well, ask what some of the tactical mistakes are that are commonly committed. That, that, uh, that people that don't carry people that don't carry their gun. I mean, even if we look at look at law enforcement, only about ten percent of law enforcement carry off duty. And there's a whole bunch of people that that have carry permits, and they'll tell you they carry a you know Whackmaster five thousand, but what they've got is a twenty two in their pocket, and um, so. The, there's a the, the biggest mistake I think is the people that think that it won't happen to me or it might happen to me but not today. Right. I tell people I wear a gun every day. I wear my seatbelt. When it, the days I don't wear my seatbelt, I won't wear a gun. Hmm. Uh, so at home right now, you you wearing a gun? I wear a gun until I get undressed for bed at <laughs> okay. night. Okay. No, I mean I, I literally I I've got my home defense stuff. Imagine a safe. I walk in, I open my safe at night and I take my carry gun off and a correct and proper draw. 
Yeah. Okay. That, that's that's not a small thing. That's 365 free practice draws I get a year. Doesn't cost me anything. So a, co- a correct draw, I put it on 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 the 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 uh, in the safe, and then I've got my home defense long guns there. And I go to sleep. I get up. I get dressed. I put the gun in the holster. I close the safe. So so my grandkids and and criminals can't get to my stuff. And then I go on about my day. Mm. But like that's that's how it is. Awesome. I, I wish more people did that. Frankly, uh, a lot of things that you mentioned, besides carrying a gun every day, uh, taking concealed carry, self defense, all of that, much more seriously. Uh, but also even that little piece, we've we've tried to train this into. I'm I'm a post certified handgun instructor, you know, and and so we're teaching all these law enforcement officers how to shoot, how to fight, uh, and. That's something that's talked about all the time is every time you draw a gun out of a holster, every time you should do it properly with good form because like you just said, that's at a minimum at night, 365 free draws a year. All right. So getting off the X, let's talk in the context of fighting in or around vehicles. And I know this can be a controversial subject as well, depending on who you talk to. Uh, But one thing that I think you know, and I know, is that fighting around a vehicle sucks. And uh, so I think it would be appropriate, and you've got some personal experience in this area. Uh, I think you could say that's unfortunate that you have that experience. But, you know, what about getting off the X? You're in a situation, and you brought up the the example earlier. uh, If you're driving your vehicle, if you're moving, doors are locked, you're not worried about getting mugged uh, or carjacked. But when you're stopped, it might be a different issue. Uh, you might be a little bit more alert of your surroundings, uh, depending on where you're at. So what about fighting around a vehicle? You know, can we apply getting the getting off the X principle to, uh, cars are not cover. Yeah. They make poor cover, don't <laughs> yeah, they? And, and, and they're, and they're relatively crappy concealment too. Um, it's funny because when people say, all right, tell me a good vehicle tactic. The first thing I go, the first thing I say is make sure it's outside of the window before you pull the pin. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter if it's a smoke or a bang or a grenade. That's just, that's just good advice. Your personal um, experience with but, that. Um, <laughs> that happens, man. You know, let's just, you know, let's just move on. Okay. Let's not talk about me. Let's talk about you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but, um, <laughs> but, um, uh, but yeah, cars are not cover and we see so many TV shows and it's, it's reinforced. I mean, here's the reality. Um, if we were to shoot at a bad guy, our round doesn't matter what it would be, would hit every cross beam and window crank and ashtray or whatever it could. And it wouldn't get to the other side. But when the bad guy shoots at us, it's going to find this, the, the two pieces of sheet metal, it's got to go through that perfect line through the car where there's nothing else but a little bit of sheet metal, and it's going to zing through both of those and hit us. That's that. That is the that is the plague of the good guy. That is that is that is the burden we carry. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, one thing I will say is like, if you're fighting around a car, around skip under the car. Uh, one of the things that you can do is shoot the tires on the car that you're hiding behind to lower the car to reduce the chances of round skipping under mm. it. Sure. You know it's so true though. You talk about the the good guy. He's just 
<laughs> he's always going to get hit by, or the bullets are going to yep. find him, whereas our bullets are going to have a hard time yep. finding the bad guy. Uh, we see that all yep. the time with these gangbangers, you know, that don't even use proper form, yep. proper grip, you know, holding the gun sideways, and they're just rattling off rounds, and yep. cops, unfortunately, are going down. And um, I'm rem- Well, everybody's a, everybody's a grandmaster grand at two feet. That's why we tell our students to move, right. because even taking one step, increases your chances of survival. Yeah, indeed it does. What are some of the skills that a defensive pistol shooter or fighter must master? Well, none. And a dramatic pause there. <laughs> um, because because we don't have to be a master of anything to defend ourselves. I mean, people with no training defend themselves with guns all mm-hmm. the time. So what I, what I t- tell my students when I teach my students is, it's kind of like you don't have to be a fireman to put out a kitchen fire, uh, but you do need to be able to pull a pin and and squirt a fire extinguisher at the base of a fire. That's what I'm going to teach you how to do with a pistol. And so I tell my students they need to de- develop a quote unquote survival level of proficiency. They don't need to be able to win a competition or be the best at anything or ever win a trophy, but they need to be be able to win win. The situation is horrible. Get their gun out, put it in front of them, see the front sight, press the trigger, and then if they have a malfunction or reload, get through that thing as efficiently as possible. And um, that's what I teach mm-hmm. them. If you were to pick one skill, <laughs> which would you say is probably something that maybe one should spend a little bit more time on? Um, you, you mean physical skill? Yeah, actually shooting? using a, a gun effectively. Um, grip. It's it, that is the human machine interface. Nothing else matters. It doesn't matter where your feet are, your knees are, your elbows are. None of that stuff matters. All that matters is grip. And most people do not use their offhand correctly. They they try to do some sixty forty seventy thirty crap. Just grab it with both hands and squeeze it. And you'll see that they're not doing it correctly because the gun will, they'll, they'll readjust their hand every two or three shots, or you'll actually see the gun hand coming out of the offhand as they shoot. So most shooters, even shooters that consider themselves to be accomplished, do not use their offhand to full effect. Mm, thank you. I appreciate you indulging me on that. Uh, and I, I'm happy to hear that actually because. I'm in agreement. <laughs> so it's, always, okay, good, it's cool. always a good thing when you agree with the podcast host, right? <laughs> if you want to be invited back, it is. <laughs> no, but it, it is something that we talk about uh, somewhat, you know, regularly on on the podcast. But also, you know, every class that I teach, uh, if there's one fundamental that I spend the most time on, it is grip, because, like you said, nothing else mm-hmm. really matters, particularly in up close and personal fights. I mean, we're talking such close ranges that most people are not, not even, even if they intend to use their sights, they're not even going to probably use their sights because they're just going to react so quickly. And so the important thing is grip that gun as, as basically as tight as you can. And I mean, there's some ways to do it more efficiently than others, but yeah, I say squeeze the F out of it. That's what I say in class. And I have the class repeat it back to me. How hard are you going to squeeze this gun? We're going to squeeze the F out of it. (laughs) That's right. I mean, it's you've probably seen it too, though, where I will go up to a student, you know, and I could tell that they're not gripping tight, tightly enough, especially with their support hand. And I will put my hand mm-hmm. around theirs and I will squeeze. 
I got one better for you. Okay. If you'd like sure. a couple of tips on sure. this. Uh, have them have them take their offhand off the gun, but keep aiming at the target, and you put your offhand where theirs was, mm-hmm. and squeeze and squeeze it. Yeah, I've done. I promise that too. it. Okay, and then one more thing, if I if I could, um, I assume you teach a thumbs forward grip. Yes. Okay, so their offhand thumb is always going to be touching something, little thing sticking out of the gun. Doesn't matter what gun it is. There's always some little notch or something there. Mm-hmm. Um, Take down lever. So. Yeah, something. Um, my cue for my students, I tell them, I said, if you hear me say, fix your grip, I need you to think, where is my offside thumb? Mm-hmm. Is it in the right place? And mm-hmm. so that's kind of a cue that they hear, and they can kind of self-diagnose. Mm-hmm. The whole firing line at the same time can kind of self-diagnose if it looks right. That doesn't mean they're squeezing, but it means it'll be in the right position. Mm-hmm. Actually, I really like that because so often we talk about index points and usually in relation to, well, there's this nifty little spot on the gun that tells me my finger, my index finger, my trigger finger is in the right place. Mm-hmm. I don't care about that as much as what you right. just described. Like that actually makes a lot of sense. Uh, I'll have to, to use that a little bit more. I appreciate the advice. When I grip for a student, you know, you put the hand on there or you, I've done some other things, even just shaking hands. I'm like, let's shake hands. You know, mm-hmm. let me show you how tightly I want you to grip that gun. And they're like, whoa, that's tight. <laughs> right? Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I think you, if you did it right, you probably hurt people. Exactly. And, and I, I don't even go quite to that, that point. I'm like, I actually grip tighter. I grip as tight as I possibly can. And obviously with, with the shooting hand, that can be a little bit challenged sometimes, affecting the trigger finger a little bit somewhat. But uh, I've always kind of said, you know, learn how to work that finger. Work, work around uh, gripping that gun because c- c- controlling the gun is, I think, what is uh, – the, the skill, I think, that most people probably struggle with the most. All right, so I, you – One last thing. I'm sorry. One last thing. It, it, when I talk to instructors, you know, I, I want to pass on as much as I can. Uh, so for the listeners that don't realize what he was saying, when you squeeze as hard as you can with your with your gun hand, for instance, you lose dexterity in your trigger finger. It doesn't move as smoothly or, you know, as you would like for this perfect trigger press. But, but my counter to that is if I'm holding the gun hard enough – that finger doesn't matter. Yeah. That's a really That's good all. way of putting it. Because if we imagine, you used the example earlier of, uh, I'm going to use the analogy of Superman. If we all had theoretical Superman strength and we could grip that gun so tightly that it didn't move at all, because Superman could do that, right? Then, like you mm-hmm. just said, it wouldn't matter what that trigger finger does because you're gripping it so firmly and so solidly that the gun, is, your little finger applying, even if you're applying excess 20 pounds of pressure, but you're gripping with, you know, 300, <laughs> that gun's not going to move. Right. Right. Yeah. Cool. Appreciate the clarification, too. Uh, do you yeah. use drills in your classes or in your training? So day one, we'll keep talking about fighting pistol. Day one, most of it um, is on the firing line. Like they're kind of lined up, you know, shoulder to shoulder kind of a thing. They're shooting. Day two is a whole lot more um, in-depth drills with different stations set up and students doing things one at a time, you know, moving back to cover. And, you know, and, and, and of course, we teach them how to shoot around cover, concealment, and all those things. So more in-depth, more complicated drills on day two. Mm. Is did I answer your question? Yeah. Or? Now, some some instructors will incorporate uh, uh, timers or certain oh, no. objectives, oh, no. uh, <laughs> and I suspected that that would be your response because I I know from watching some of your videos that uh, you believe in realistic training. 
Mm-hmm. How do you incorporate realistic, you know, environmental training? Uh, you know, when, when you when you talk about shooting around cover, what is the context that you give your students when they're doing something like that? Okay, uh, well, it's it, it, I, I go I go with simplicity, and um, and so the simplicity is it's better to not be shot than it is to shoot the bad guy. So getting behind something that stops bullets from hitting us is obviously an advantage. So, so let me, let me give you an example of what I mean more broadly. This is, this is what I teach for weapon handling. Okay. If a tap on the magazine and a rack of the slide does not fix it, there are only two possible problems. Can you, can you tell me one of them? Well, one would be obviously a double feed. Okay, that's what everybody says, and it's true. You absolutely that is one one of the two of them. But the first one that comes up is the gun is empty. Reload. Yeah, and that's the most common pitfall, the most common problem with any modern semi-automatic pistol. The most common reason that it doesn't work is it's empty. Right. And so here's what I tell my students: if a tap rack doesn't fix the gun, reload it. Mm. That's our whole weapon handling methodology, right there. Yeah. I've been to places that taught me three different uh, malfunction clearances when the lights were on and three different ones when it was dark. So that's six different types of malfunction clearances and then loading the gun and then unloading the gun, like all this nonsense, basically put a mag in, slam it in hard, run the slide, get in the fight. And if that doesn't work, put another one in and get back in the fight. Mm. Yeah. Great so advice. I try, I try to boil, I try to boil everything down because you're not going to be brilliant when the chips are down. You're not. And so again, the survival level of proficiency. And so what, what I explain to people is that I I have to make it simple. And I believe that's the goal of any instructor is to simplify things. So his students can take more with them. If I make it into smaller pieces, you take more with you. Um, do you, do you want to hear my legal lecture? Sure. Let's hear it. Before you put your finger on the trigger, ask yourself, whose life am I about to save? Mm. That's a very simple lit- litmus test. That's what you that's what you pay for when you go to training. Is some guy that has sifted through all the crap and has made it simple for you. So running a gun, if a tap rack doesn't fix it, reload it. Mm. Getting in a gunfight. Whose life am I about to save before I put that finger on the trigger? Like that's what you're paying for. Mm-hmm. That's what you should. That's what you should be buying when you go train somewhere. Is somebody that has has taken all this stuff and cleared away all the static and get, and is giving you diamonds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do you measure that a student going through one of your courses uh, that they are achieving that survival level of proficiency? Well, certainly we can watch the students um, improve as the course goes on, but it's mostly about what they say. Mm-hmm. Uh, typically, uh, uh, if we have a woman come through class, um, they they use they over and over and over use the word, the adjective empowering. This class was empowering, mm-hmm. and and occasionally people ask me when I'm going to teach a woman's only class, and I, and I say, yeah, easy. When there's a woman's only gunfight, I'll start teaching women's only classes. <laughs> And, um, but, uh, 
but we never really know what sticks really, you know, as an instructor, like when I, when I first hire a guy and, and I only hire guys that are passionate. And when I first hire a guy that they, they come in, they go, yeah, you know, I worked with that guy and I worked with him, worked with him. Finally, I saw the light come on and man, that's, that's why I do this. That's what makes it worth it. And I said, no, it's not. And they look at me like, what? That's great. That's the instant gratification thing. And it's awesome. I said, but you do it for the echoes. And they're like, what do you mean? And I said, in a year, in five years, in 10 years, that guy or somebody else in that class might call you up and say, I heard you telling me to move. I heard you telling me to reload my gun. And I go, and they'll tell you that you saved their life that day. That's why we do it. Hmm. Indeed. I'm curious now to ask, you, you've you said that you've had uh, dozens of students uh, that have gone through your training that have mm-hmm. uh, survived fights. Not survive, not survive, one. One, sure. Survival, survive, survival could, be mean, could be mean hooked up to a machine somewhere. <laughs> right. Uh, I don't teach gunfights. I don't teach guns sure, sure. survival. Uh, okay, so semantics aside, one. <laughs> uh, I mean, you could call it semantics or you could call it definitions. Sure. Whatever. Yeah, it's all Go good. ahead. Um, <laughs> so what are some of your, I mean, I would probably say if I were you, I'd probably say they're all my favorite story. But like, can you give us an example of one or two uh, stories that really stand out in your mind? How about how about I give you a story of the forfeit? Okay. The guy that, okay. So I've trained students literally all over the world, Central America, South America, Canada, all over Europe, the Middle East. I've trained people everywhere. The only student I've ever had murdered was murdered about seven miles from where I live. That's crazy. Wow. But uh, he, he came and took a class. This is years ago. He came and took a class, and he was carrying a Perronance P-14, big boat anchor. And I said, do you actually carry that gun? He says, well, I've applied for my carry permit, so I'm not carrying yet. But when I get it, this is what I'm going to carry. And I said, you might want to consider something else because you're probably not going to carry that all the time. He said, yeah, I am. Wow. So – he had a he had a second home. It's, uh, I live on a on a lake up here, Kentucky Lake, and he had a second home near near where I'm at. And he was up there, and uh, you know he's, this guy was fairly well off. And like like a lot of us, that if we were fairly well off, we would have the second home, and we would make sure that second home had some kind of dirt pile out back so we could shoot. Mm-hmm. And so he shot a lot when he was up on the weekends and stuff like that. And he, there was a widower, old man next door. That wound up having a dog shot. Well, he's just crazy old man. He heard gun. He heard gunfire all the time from his neighbors. His dog shot must have been the neighbor. It had to be. Well, um, that my my student and his sister and four year old daughter uh, uh, are hooked up to a boat and they take it to the lake. And the old man can't. The old man's actually walking across the yard to kill to kill the guy when they pull out and leave. So they get to the boat ramp and put the boat in and they're gone all day. The old man couldn't catch up to him, but he drives to every boat ramp in the area and there's plenty until he finds the truck. And then he waits. Um, the, uh, they pull up in the boat and the man walks to get his truck to back down. And while his sister and daughter are at the, at the boat, he goes to get the truck. Some words are exchanged. We don't know what happens. And the old man shoots him wow. right in the chest. The guy falls down. The sister who's a nurse and the daughter run over and the man is doing his uh, doing a death snore, and I'm not trying to be gross, but sure. there's a 
noise that people make as they're in their, in their last throes of life. The old man thought that the guy was still alive, so he hobbles back over and between the heads of the sister and daughter puts the Ruger 44 Magnum Red Hawk in between them and fires another shot into the man's chest, ruining their hearing and splattering them with with debris. Mm-hmm. Um, now, my students are all like, well, how do you know a gun would have not my students, people say, well, how do you know a gun would have made it better? I'm like, it couldn't have possibly made it worse. Right. And so that that's the story I want to share. It's not all the days you do carry a gun. It's the day you don't carry a gun. All a gun does is gives you an option. option. It's not an answer for anything. It's just an option. And um, I don't know how it could have changed that situation. I don't know, but I know it couldn't have made it worse. Mm. Wow, that is a uh, that's a tragic story. Yep. Uh, I hope every listener of the podcast right now takes that one to heart. I mean, as many as often as they've heard me harp on carry every day, carry everywhere, plus get all the, I think other training and skills, uh, you know, hand to hand stuff, uh, med- medical, med- medical, yeah. Uh, I, I carry two trauma kits every day, one for inducing and one for relieving. Mm. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, this is fun having you on. <laughs> I, I'm going to have to use that. That that's, that's brilliant. Oh, please, please. <laughs> awesome. All right. So I appreciate you, sh- you, you sharing that story with us. Cause I, I do think that's very telling. Um, that is clearly a situation where uh, it, we would have liked to have seen it gone another way. That's for sure. And who knows what could have happened had he had a gun. Um, you like to talk about gear in your videos. And no, not really. <laughs> we do <laughs> quite, about quite a few things. Uh, but, well, there's a, I, I, but, but the reality is I'd rather talk about mindset, but uh-huh. there's just not that much to talk about. Right. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> Please go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> so what are some of the must have pieces of kit? If we, if we talk, talk generically, I mean, you should carry a gun, a, a spare mag, not 15 spare mags, uh, a pocket knife and a flashlight. Those are, those are things that, you know, you should wear. Um, never make an appointment with a man that doesn't wear a watch because they're not going to be on time. Um, <laughs> I wear a backup gun. I wear an ankle med kit. Um, but, uh, but you know, a, a pistol, a spare mag, and we carry a spare mag, not for more ammo, but to fix a gun that doesn't work. The most common problem with your gun is the magazine. And they're going to be dudes with gen one Glock mags, trying to use them in a gen five Glock and they're 30 years old and they're not going to work. <laughs> and they're going to be mad at Glock. Right. Um, but, um, stuff like that. And I know, and, and I know there's a lot of people that are not allowed to carry a gun at work. Um, but I, that's why I try to explain to people the difference between the word allowed and the word able. And the easiest place to carry a gun is one that has metal detectors. Like if you work, if you work at a place that has a metal detector, I can tell you how to carry a gun every day. Would you like to know? I'm, yeah, my, my eyes are kind of like wandering upward as I'm pondering this question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's very simple. Uh, FedEx a gun to yourself at work and just leave it there because they don't x-ray the FedEx packages. Huh. That's brilliant. If Listen, if they can get guns and drugs into prison, you can get them into where you work. <laughs> 
but don't get any, don't take drugs to work. I didn't mean that. I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what makes a good fighting gun? Um, reliable. Um, and, uh, holds a lot of bullets. <laughs> I mean, there's other things that we can talk about, but, but any of the, my, my, my opinion is, I mean, there's, there's a bunch of, there's a tons of good guns. I mean, gosh, I mean, like there's just, there's tons of good stuff and there's tons of junk too. But, uh, but, uh, any of the modern polymer frame striker fired without a safety with, with, without a grip safety, without a safety lever, any of those are, are, are good. What? So I guess you kind of touched on there a little bit. What makes a bad gun? If you care to elaborate uh, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, if it's a 1911 or if it has buttons and switches on it. <laughs> what What about a 1911 besides the button and sw- buttons and switches? Don't you like? Well, I, I've got a 1911 suck video and it's, it's funny because people are like, you're an asshole and blah, blah, blah. And then I go to Wilson combat and they go, yeah, they pretty much suck. And I go to Ken Hackathorn, who is the godfather of this stuff. And he goes, yeah, they pretty much suck. Um, and, uh, they still, they're still, they're still at me, mad at me. But, um, the problem with the 1911 is this, they were developed during a time when skilled craftsmen hand fitted every part. Now we skip forward to a day where, People don't want to pay for that. They don't want to pay four grand or five grand for a Wilson or a, a Cabot or something like that, that were, it was meticulously crafted. They don't want to pay for that. They want to spend 600 bucks, just like the same price for a Glock. And they want to buy this 1911 because they see 1911s on gun magazines all the time. And they're buying a gun that does not lend itself well to modern assembly, like EDM, CNC, and those things. Like the, these guns were hand fitted by craftsmen and they, they are not, they're, they're not a, they're not a gun that lends itself well to modern, modern technology. Yeah. I mean, that is, you you nailed it on the head there for sure. Um, Oh, that, 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 and they don't hold a lot of ammo and they're kind of fucking heavy and sorry, (laughs) I forgot, Uh, (laughs) but uh, there's a, you know, there's, there's a ton of reasons why it's not the right answer, but the fact that they, they're not reliable, the number one thing that's at the top. Yeah, and I don't care how much you spend on them. A Glock, a, a Glock that doesn't work is as rare as a nineteen eleven that does. Nine millimeter or forty five. <laughs> Either are fine. Either are fine. I promise. I want more bullets instead of less, so I choose nine millimeter. Yeah, yeah. Good answer. Uh, what words of advice do you have for all the concealed carriers listening to this podcast? You don't have enough training. You need more and you will never at any point in time wish that you had less training. Mm. And, and while we're at it, I usually get asked this and it's people kind of think it's odd answer. I do not think that there should be a law that you get training to have a carry permit. Yeah. You know, that's interesting. We did I think it was episode 50 of this podcast where we talked about that very thing right there. And we got so many interesting comments and feedback back on that episode because that's what that's basically what we said we don't think the law should require a you know put some arbitrary uh standard for there shouldn't for be permits. a law there shouldn't be a law at all but people <laughs> you need to get trained right you know so yeah it's, it's a responsibility yeah absolutely yeah yeah i i, I do think that uh you know, what do you think though about all, all those that uh don't take their responsibility of carrying a gun seriously 
well, very often they're successful despite themselves. I mean, if you read books like Armed in America by Gary Lott and things like that, I mean, 29 times out of 30, the mere, the mere presentation, the mere showing of a pistol ends the confrontation. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but they, they do, they do like everybody does pretty good without any training. But the question is, do you want to be the example that doesn't do well? And there's been any number of things that have happened. I, the list goes on and on. Like uh, the, the guy that was going to stop the concealed carry holder that was going to stop the active shooter at the mall. And they said he had a malfunction with his gun. Well, he's trying to, he's trying to chamber around and screwed that up mm-hmm. and then got shot, mm-hmm. you know? So, uh, you know, you can go from hero to zero in about two seconds. But the reality of it is if you like firearms training, it's fun. And it's also the only true American martial art. It's the only thing that's really, truly ours. We're the only gun culture in the world. Used to be South Africa, but not so much anymore. But we're the only gun culture in the world. And uh, and, and it's our and it's very patriotic. That's the most patriotic thing you can do is strap on a gun and go to a place and shoot at a thing that looks like a human in case something happens. That's 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 America. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's the birth of our nation right there was uh possible yep. because we were armed uh, and one more one, one more thing on that if, if you may yeah because they, they say well our founding fathers didn't know we were going to have this you know these modern guns uh, i just want to tell everybody to make sure we all understand that the ordinance was civilian owned at the start of the war the cannons and the mortars and stuff that were used that was all civilian owned okay so yeah. if, if if the guns aren't okay can i have a cannon or trebuchet something right yeah (laughs) you you know and we we talked about that uh in a special july 4th episode independence day episode last year where we kind of we went into some of that you know and it was it was a popular one that's for sure uh i'm glad you reminded me of that anything else that you'd like to add man get some training like i don't really care where you go i mean there's plenty of guys out there doing a world of great stuff. I mean, history will look back at this as the tactical Renaissance period. I assure you of that. There's tons of good stuff going on by a ton of good trainers and I could just start naming them off, but the list is long, but, but go get some training. It's great. It's fun. It is indeed. I I appreciate you mentioning that. Uh, it, It is truly a unique time. We have so many, so many people out there with amazing amounts of knowledge and skill uh, and experience. And, uh, you know, I was thinking, I read an article recently, James, uh, going back to, it was about the, uh, oh, it, it, was, it was Camp Perry, basically, as it was, okay? Shooting, you know, uh, classic Camp Perry matches back in the teens and early 20s, uh, 1920s, mm-hmm. you know, right around that era. And, you had the NRA basically that trained a lot of snipers uh, or, you know, they had a lot of the infrastructure in place to train guys how to shoot well going over mm-hmm. to World War One, over to Europe. And then when mm-hmm. that was all said and done and, and, and done away with, you know, the war was ended and these guys came home and like it just sort of all disappeared. And I think what a travesty that we had these guys with amazing amounts of knowledge and experience from fighting and sniping and shooting over in Europe. And then we just, we didn't do anything with it. And, and well, it wasn't, it commer- well, it wasn't commercially viable. I mean, nobody really, 
never really thought about it. The, the, the country has changed. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not, it used to be people left their doors unlocked and stuff like that. And people don't do that anymore. Yeah. Not smart people. <laughs> true. True. Well, so here's the thing. Uh, we're going to have you on our Guardian Nation live webcast coming up here in uh, next week, next Thursday, in fact. Now, that's the one you told me I had to wear pants for. <laughs> that would be preferable. <laughs> Although, if you're really careful about camera angles, you, you could get away with that. <laughs> uh, so, folks, uh, join us on September 28th at 7 p.m. Mountain Time, 8 p.m. Central Time. That's where uh, where you would be in Tennessee. And uh, that would be 9 p.m. Eastern and 6 p.m. Pacific. So, 7 p.m. Mountain Time, September 28th. Join us for Guardian Nation Live, and it'll be a good time, I promise. Uh, you'll get to meet my cohort, Jacob, who is – he often is uh, here in the podcast with me, but he's away getting, I don't know, certified as like Glock Armor or something today. I don't, I don't know what his deal is. <laughs> what a boring job that is. Oh, it's broken. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, folks, if you're not already a Guardian Nation member, you're going to want to consider – doing that and joining because that's how you're going to be able to get the special link that allows you to join with us on September 28th at 7 p.m. Mountain to see a, a conversation and have a Q&A session with James Ager. So your chance to ask him your questions and get his answers. And he'll probably stoke the fires and 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 <laughs> yeah. get people fired up, right? That's what I do. Cool. Well, we appreciate you joining us on the Concealed Carry Podcast today, man. Oh man, I, I've enjoyed it. It's a, it's it's always good to talk to instructors and and uh, talk about this stuff on a you know on a, on a deeper level. So thanks for letting me kind of get off the rails there a couple times and continue. <laughs> Indeed, great. Well, thank thank you so much, and uh, we'll see you on September twenty eighth. Okay, there you go. I hope you enjoyed listening to that interview. Don't forget, we will be having Mr. Yeager on our Guardian Nation live broadcast event coming up on September 28th at 7 p.m. Mountain Time, 9 p.m. Eastern, uh, 8 p.m. Central, 6 p.m. Pacific, if you uh, don't care to do the math yourself. (laughs) Uh, We're excited to have him on. That should be a fun time. That'll be your chance to ask questions yourself and hear his answers directly. Uh, As you know, we do a little, uh, it's a webcast. And so you'll see Jacob, myself, and Mr. Yeager all face-to-face. And uh, there's a little opportunity, a little place for you to drop your questions in there while you view. And and then we ask those questions of him and, and get his responses. And it should be a fun time. So I hope you'll take the time to join us next Thursday evening. That's, well, not this immediate Thursday, but you know what I mean. Next week, September 28th, 7 p.m. Mountain Time, 9 p.m. Eastern. We look forward to that. Uh, but before I get too far along, today's episode is sponsored by Andrew Branca's The Law of Self-Defense. ConcealedCarry.com and the Concealed Carry Podcast joined forces with Andrew to bring you the best legal education related to the law of self-defense. Trust me, if you ever have to draw or use your gun in self-defense, you are going to want to know how to minimize your vulnerability to prosecution and conviction by helping your defense team build the most compelling narrative of innocence. Check it out. Andrew has the resources you need through live in-person courses, online training, his book, The Law of Self-Defense, and also video DVDs, which are newly released. Go see it all at concealedcarry.com forward slash L-O-S-D. 
for law of self-defense, concealedcarry.com forward slash L-O-S-D. And today's episode is also brought to you by Sports Afield Safes. You've heard us talk about them a number of times. We're big fans. We have these available for sale in our online store. They are a great product for a great price. Don't leave yourself unprepared and unable to access your defensive handgun in an instant while still storing them safely and responsibly from unauthorized hands. They also have their full line of full-size rifle safes available that makes shipping and delivery easy. And right now, if you order any one of their safe products, the quick access handgun vaults, the full-size safes, you will get a free one-year subscription to the magazine Sports Afield with your purchase. So go check out the full lineup at concealedcarry.com forward slash sports afield. That is S-P-O-R-T-S-A-F-I-E-L-D, concealedcarry.com forward slash sports afield. I hope that you'll check them out. Now, before we wrap it up for today's episode on the Concealed Carry podcast, as is customary on the podcast, uh, I've got a pick of the week to feature for today's episode. And this pick is, uh, well, it's a fun one because it's gun-related, of course, and, well, naturally most of our picks are gun-related, but uh, this actually is a definite firearm part. And what this is is a complete new upper receiver uh, assembly from Palmetto State Armory. Uh, I have here in my hands a uh, Palmetto State Armory built upper. Uh, It's a complete upper uh, with a seven inch barrel it's chambered in five five six has a three inch cac they call it a cac flash can uh a muzzle device on the end of it uh, a 10 inch hand uh, guard or rail uh m lock and uh the one thing i did is it came with a standard bolt carrier group uh but i went ahead and also ordered their uh nickel boron uh treated uh, bolt carrier group and uh, it looks great uh, functions flawlessly it has a nice smooth uh, feel to it and so I, I ordered this because this is for my first ever AR pistol that I just completed a build on and I know some of you guys out there listening are like oh my gosh Riley you've never done an AR pistol before and uh, well I was just waiting for the right time <laughs> so uh Palmetto State Armory recently had a pretty good sale, and I picked up this complete upper assembly for a very reasonable price. I think it was $259. Uh, And I've noticed if you keep an eye on their site, uh, you'll see this same complete upper uh, go. It's been on and off sale uh, several times in the last couple of weeks. Uh, But uh, really a, a fun little build that I did. I took it out to the range the other day, shot it. Had a great time. My son shot it. He had a great time. Uh, I also bought the uh, Palmetto State Armory lower parts kit. Actually, it was it was everything, including an SB uh, uh, SB arm brace uh, for the rear. And uh, of course, we can't call it a stock, but uh, uh, and so we we got that buffer tube, uh, lower parts kit. You know, all that stuff, grip, and uh, I think I got the whole setup. Was able to do my whole build for less than 500 bucks easy and uh, that that was that was a lot of fun so 
this is going to be, I think, my new truck gun and be watching for some content coming from me here, hopefully soon. I'm working on a content piece uh, that I think will be a lot of fun and pretty comprehensive. Oh, in case anyone's wondering for the lower receiver on this, I contacted my good friend Seth Dubois at 303 Armory. Uh, he's located right here locally in Colorado. Uh, naturally, uh, anyone familiar with Colorado knows that the uh, main area code is 303, hence the name 303 Armory, and it's very much a Colorado-branded lower receiver. So may not be something that appeals to many of you across the country out there, but this is a billet lower, uh, nice quality, well-built, looks great. Uh, kind of wish my, that the upper receiver was also billet, but uh, ah, who cares? I think I might send this off for a Cerakote job and kind of try to make everything blend together and look really, really nice uh, and just have some fun with it. But Oh, and uh, for optics, I put on the top for now. I, I might change this up. Um, I've got the Bushnell TRS-25 uh, red dot. Uh, you know, these are very, I think this has been my pick before, the TRS-25. Uh, they are incredibly rugged optics for very, very uh, cheap. <laughs> uh, I hate to use the, the word cheap, but they are cheap. They're not built like they're cheap. Uh, I have run this through a, a number of uh, carbine courses. It has been beat up. It has been shot. And it still holds a true zero. It works great. Probably my own, well, I have two complaints with the TRS-25. And that is that the view through the optic is a little bit obscured or, or uh, I'm trying to decide how to describe this. But the lower right-hand side of the optic, you can actually see where the mount for the uh, light-emitting diode uh, that actually projects the light beam onto the re the reflect the reflector that comes back to your eye. You know that that creates the dot. You can see that mount in the viewing window through the optic, and uh, it just kind of it cuts off that lower right hand corner. Just like it looks like just a little bit of a line kind of across there. Uh, I don't know if that's the best or most accurate description of it. It's not terribly distracting. Uh, you get used to it very quickly using the optic. I mean, in other words, when you're looking through it, you don't have a perfectly round view uh, port or whatever. Uh, there's just the lower right hand corner that's kind of cut off a little bit. It's uh, flattened out. Uh, so anyway, the other thing too with these TRS-25s is there is just a little bit of uh, color vari variation looking through it as far as it changes. You know, it has a little bit of a bluish, greenish hue or tint uh, as you're viewing through it. Um, probably not my preference, but hey, for something you can pick up on Amazon for 80 bucks that will hold up to use and abuse, the TRS-25 Bushnell uh, Red Dot Optic is a, a fine choice. I'll go probably into some of the more de uh, additional details behind uh, this rifle build. Well, also while I'm working on that content piece I mentioned, but probably I have some other picks of the week that I'll, I'll uh, bring from, uh, from this build. And so I hope that uh, you guys enjoy that. Anyway, there you go. That's my pick of the week. And so with that, it is time to wrap up another episode of the Concealed Carry Podcast. I hope this is a good one for you. We, just a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care, everyone.
reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.